Welcome to the Annie Centre podcast. My name is Dr. Anne Chalfont, and today's podcast is an interview between Jill Hellemans and Michaela Rafferty from Multilit and myself. We're discussing the topic of managing challenging behaviour in our classrooms and the initiatives that they have taken to develop training programs for teachers, principals and other educators in managing challenging behaviour in schools. We recorded this podcast in December last year, 2020, in anticipation of the new school year, this year, 2021. Behaviour management in our classrooms has become a serious and complicated problem. It's complicated because there are many fronts. On one front, we have the students. Did you know that 4% of students were suspended from schools in our state of New South Wales, Australia, in 2019? That's a huge number of children, including children as young as kindergarten, year one and year two, being forced out of school for periods of up to 20 days at a time if it's a long suspension or four days if it's a short suspension. That seems extreme. On another front, we have the teachers. Teachers are leaving the profession, feeling burnt out, having difficulty dealing with challenging behaviour in their classroom. They simply want to teach. They want to help children learn. Up to 50% of teachers indicate they have no training in how to manage challenging behaviour in the classroom. And then on the third front, there's the parents. Parents are concerned that a disproportionate number of their children with disabilities are being suspended. They believe that suspensions are ineffective in helping their children re-engage effectively in the classroom. And of course, that's supported by research, which consistently shows that removing children from school does not work. So what needs to be done to solve this complicated problem? Well, in New South Wales, in my state, the government wants teachers and principals to prepare what's called a behaviour support plan. What's that? Well, that's a document that principals and teachers need to develop and complete, which looks at what's triggering the child's challenging behaviours in the classroom and puts in place strategies to try and manage it within the school. But how do teachers do that? on top of their existing workload? And how do they do that when they're saying that they don't have the necessary training? Where do they get this training? Enter Multilit. We know Multilit is recognised as world leaders and a world-leading organisation in developing literacy programs. They're the best in that game. But now they've seen this need to broaden their work into assisting schools with managing challenging behaviour. And as I said, this is a serious problem that needs addressing. Two of their team... Michaela Rafferty and Jill Hellimans are special educators and behaviour intervention experts and they have designed an evidence-based program to train teachers, principals and other educators in behaviour management. They're rolling these training programs out through 2021 and beyond and it couldn't come at a more suitable time. A little about these two remarkable ladies. Michaela Rafferty and Jill Hellimans are both board-certified behaviour analysts and special educators, and each of them have more than 16 years experience in early intervention and school-aged intervention. They have extensive experience in the assessment and treatment of challenging behaviour, the development and monitoring of behaviour intervention plans, curriculum modification, literacy assessment and intervention, functional communication training and social skills instruction, instruction. Essentially, all the criteria that we would need to develop great programs to address this issue in schools. They've both spent many years working in partnership with schools and teachers to implement school-wide behaviour management practices, as well as individualised support plans. 
This is their bread and butter. Michaela and Jill joined Multilit to develop professional development workshops for teachers and expand services under Multilit's Positive Teaching and Learning Initiative. I know Jill and Michaela very well, so I'm honoured that they were able to speak with me at length about the problem of managing challenging behaviour in classrooms and the training programs they're developing for schools. One mother, one mission, to create a world where families thrive. Dr. Anne Shalfand, internationally acclaimed clinical psychologist, family therapist, author and mother of four children, brings you powerful and practical parenting techniques from her clinical and personal experience. Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in the house. All right, well, Michaela and Jill, thank you so much for agreeing to give some time to talk about uh, positive teaching and positive behaviour support in classrooms. And I think this couldn't come at a more relevant and opportune time because we're seeing an overhaul now in the focus of professional development for teachers. And I think although that's specifically happening in the state that we live in, in in New South Wales, I'm sure that this is reflective of a change in thinking or a a change in direction and focus across the country in Australia and I think really more globally as well, the need to upskill teachers and and schools to to manage children who've got challenging behaviour. Um, and the idea that, you know, that there's a problem to address here, I think, mm-hmm. um, and, and shining a light on that is happening much more, again, in New South Wales, but probably, you know, beyond New South Wales. So I wanted to begin, if we can, by just setting the scene a little bit and talking about what exactly is the problem and, and how, who are the stakeholders in this in this issue and um, and their different experiences, I suppose, in, in managing the problem or the challenge of dealing with challenging behaviour in a classroom. So the way I understand it is there seems to be three key groups of stakeholders. There's the teachers yep. who you know may have some training in specifically managing kids with challenging behaviour. And, 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 and I think we have to be real about this. Children don't just you know, sort of present with challenging behaviour for no reason. Usually mm-hmm. it's secondary to would you agree, you know, a clinical presentation like a learning difficulty or some other disability, maybe a mental health difficulty? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so we've got teachers who are, you know, ex- expected more and more these days to know how to manage these sorts of kids in their classroom. True. We've got a shift that's been happening, you know, over the last... 10 to 15 years towards this evidence-based approach of inclusion mm-hmm. where these children with some sort of special need, um, we're wanting to include them in a mainstream classroom much more and yet at the same time expect that teachers will know how to uh, you know, assimilate these kids into the classroom yes. environment uh, successfully. And, and we see a rise in the presentations of these kind of diagnoses that children have these days, you know, increases in mental health difficulties in kids and in, you know, the prevalence of autism, for example, or ADHD, other, other sorts of diagnoses. And then the third group is the parents, I think, and their experience or, or their thoughts about how well their children's difficulties are being managed in the classroom and, the, and their concerns that might relate mm-hmm. to that. So maybe if we start with the teachers... And I know you've got some incredible statistics to share across these sorts of these three kind of key stakeholder groups. If we look at the teachers first, what kind of statistics do you have around things like um, how overwhelmed teachers might be finding yeah. 
um, working with children with behaviour and challenging behaviour or aggressive and violent behaviour in classrooms as well. And, um, and the level of experience that they may have to date in terms of professional development. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, teachers are at the forefront of, of what you were saying about classrooms becoming much more diverse these days. And what comes with that is this um, requirement for not just looking after students' academic needs, but also their their social and behavioural mm. needs as well. And, and when classrooms become really diverse and you've got this huge mix of, of abilities, um, you know, teachers are needing to be able to back that up with some sort of training. Mm. And what the research is continually telling us is that the majority of teachers come out of their pre-service training feeling less than prepared to manage challenging behaviour. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel mildly prepared to manage trivial misbehaviour, mm-hmm. but when it comes to more challenging uh, situations, teachers are feeling really unprepared mm-hmm. for those for those um, parts of their job. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we look at the pre-service training, the university degrees, uh, we know that they're not actually exposed to any dedicated units of study Mm. in relation to effective and evidence-based behaviour management Mm. strategies for the classroom. Mm. And so they really are unprepared for Mm. for these situations. Um, And that's one of the things that um, teachers are saying is that we come into a job and we've had lots of training in assessing academics and and teaching, uh, you know, various subject areas. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to being able to manage the classroom on a whole and also support students individually, there's a, a real lack of skill there. Um, yeah, look, um, just to add on to that as well, um, there was a survey done with the Teaching and Learning International Survey, which focuses on Australian teachers as well, and it does say that 38% of teachers actually feel prepared to support children with special needs in their classrooms. So that's quite low if you think mm. about the sort of push for inclusion, having mm. diverse needs mm. in a classroom. Mm. There will be children with special needs there that might need curriculum modification yes. as well as um, positive behaviour support strategies to support their motivation and learning. Mm-hmm. And 38% of our teachers feel ready for that mm. um, when we're talking about a huge amount of children in the classroom that might need that sort of support. Yeah. So the other way of saying that is that there's nearly two-thirds of teachers yeah. who don't. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Um, and what we really want to do with these courses is build the capacity of teachers empower them with evidence-based strategies that really give them the power to put practical strategies in place. Mm. Um, That's what we're trying to aim for here. Mm. And I guess the the problem here is that what the um, unpreparedness leads to Mm. is teacher stress and burnout. Mm. And the more uh, out of their depths a teacher feels, you know, they're going to the job every day and feeling like a big portion of their day is something that they're struggling with or that is not improving, mm. uh, leads to them actually wanting to leave the profession. Yeah. Yes. And um, teacher attrition rates are increasing mm. as a result of um, the, the stress and burnout that mm. they experience, mm. which is often related to mm. the unmanaged behaviour problems in their classrooms. Mm. Uh, and so upskilling teachers is going to support them to um, have more job satisfaction, uh, stick with it uh, for longer, build their careers. And it really is an essential component of um, teaching a classroom is to to be able to manage uh, classroom um, dynamics and also the more individual uh, needs of students as well. Yeah. 
So from the teacher's perspective, there's the issue of, of, of job satisfaction that, or, or dissatisfaction in this instance, which leads to attrition, which isn't good for the teacher, but it's not good for the community mm-hmm. at large. Yes. Um, and then the issue of preparedness in entering the exactly. job. So there's difficulties in entering and then there's difficulties once you're yeah, in the in role there. itself. Yes. Yeah. And then le- looking at the student as the stakeholder, um, what informational statistics do you have around the uh, experience that kids with uh, challenging behaviours, and again, I think the reality is we know that those behaviours are secondary to other diagnoses yes. like ADHD, like other uh, disabilities, autism, learning difficulties, mental health. What's happening in terms of um, how successful they are in, in staying at school versus suspensions and those yeah. sorts of experiences? Uh, So there's some really alarming stats actually around um, the experience of students that have challenging behaviour. Using uh, the information from CC, which is the Centre for Educational Statistics and Evaluation, which is really like the data hub and um, education evidence um, for New South Wales, um, we've got some stats from 2019 which show that, um, so on the whole, uh, there was about um, 806,000 students enrolled in New South Wales government schools and uh, they looked at the suspension rates for both short suspensions which are usually around four days and long suspensions which can be up to uh, 20 days mm-hmm. and um, on the whole for short suspensions in 2019 there was around uh, almost 55,000 short suspensions uh, during that year Now, nearly 20,000 of those were for continued disobedience. So that might be for, uh, you know, ongoing, uh, persistent, trivial misbehaviour, but perhaps, you know, not following school rules, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps not uh, listening to teachers Mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And then there was around 34,000, almost 35,000 short suspensions for aggressive Mm behaviour. Now, what we see with the problem with using suspensions alone uh, is that uh, students get stuck in this cycle. Mm. And um, because suspensions are really more of a school-based or a systems approach uh, and it's a a punishment procedure, uh, it doesn't really have much to do with the reasons behind the student's challenging behaviour. And therefore, it's not an intervention and it's not something that we might see will necessarily help the reduction of Mm -hmm. the challenging Mm behaviour and for the student to develop new, more appropriate Mm -hmm. behaviour. And so those numbers are actually made up of students who are getting repeated suspensions Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And these students do get stuck in these cycles Mm -hmm. where um, they come back to school, the same problem happens and they get suspended Mm -hmm. again. And as you can imagine, that also would have a flow-on effect to the family uh, and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very interesting point because I was reading um, an article in The Herald uh, and looking at this issue. And uh, I think one of the uh, teachers' unions was t- was talking about that the, the philosophy behind the suspensions was that it sort of acts as a, a timeout mm-hmm. yep. um, in, you know, in broad terms. And so the idea is that with the suspension, the student is, you know, taken out of the context which may be causing some difficulty or mm-hmm. some triggering some of this behaviour and gives them an opportunity to learn alternative strategies. That's right. But what I'm hearing from you is if the if, if this is becoming a revolving door yeah. experience, then clearly that idea of it being used as a timeout is not working. Yes. And what yeah. we have to try to move away from is behaviour plans that focus on suspension as the reactive strategy. So mm-hmm. if this, this and this happens, the child will be suspended. Yeah. That's not a behaviour support plan. Mm-hmm. Um, that concept of timeout, sometimes what we do need to consider is that teachers need a bit of a timeout. And that, yes. that, that 
there is value to that. Yes. Sometimes having the student go home so the teacher can spend time reflecting on what's happening, planning for that student to come back with a really positive and proactive plan. Uh-huh. That sometimes does need to happen, mm. but using it as a timeout for the child to um, learn new skills mm. and then come back mm. to school ready with, mm. for them, we just know that's not the case because mm-hmm. where we want to focus the learning on is within the classroom. And when we see plans where students are suspended and can't return to school mm. until they have a behaviour support plan, until they have a diagnosis, mm. that's very stressful on parents mm. to try to solve that. Mm. And also we're looking at people then designing plans that sit outside the school system Mm. and teachers might not adopt that plan or feel comfortable Mm. using it. So we really need to give power to the teachers to create and develop their own plans that work for themselves in their classroom Mm. context that Mm. they feel like they can actually do. Mm. And we need to look at that assessment process happening within the school. Mm. And the teacher has to be the leader in all of this. We sort of really want to put the teacher at the forefront of Mm. developing these Mm. plans. I think that's a really interesting point and I think, you know, from personal experience as a clinician, um, I can think of many occasions where mm. I've had clients who have been suspended from school and the idea that they will somehow, you know, sort of leave in that period and, and be upskilled or learn or develop strategies and the practicality of families, you know, just in timing um, yep. alone, yes. finding a clinician, uh, you know, the child establishing and the family establishing rapport with that clinician, yep. building up some sessions where they can, uh, you know, instill some insight and develop some skills with the child and the family. That all takes quite a bit of time Mm -hmm. and then as you said developing a a plan to reintegrate the child back into the school that comes you know from an external provider either you know someone like myself or or, or, you know another psychologist or behavior support you know professional Mm -hmm. um and that exactly right Jill that idea that you know how does that align with where the teacher sees um that being relevant in their classroom on a day-to-day basis given their own you know challenges with time and resources and the other children that they have to manage so you know it's 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 an it seems idealistic yes uh, it is. to expect yes. that you can remove a child upskill them and that will all happen in some smooth way within yep. a period of days mm-hmm. um, or even you know weeks and then they'll sort of come back good as gold um, and the teacher will be able to yep. you know take yes. that all on board yep. and we, we might see it from you know as a punishment procedure you know they, they need to learn, mm. learn a lesson they need to go mm. home what happens at home though is something that teachers don't have control over yes. and that depends on each family unit how they can cope with a child being at home and um, I know that if you asked, you sent my child home, I'd have to still work. So I'd probably yes. be putting them in front of the technology a fair bit to keep yes. themselves busy. Yes. So what are, what are they actually getting? They're getting a break from having to do work that they probably find hard. Yes. They get to stay home and maybe play on their own or access technology or get some quality time with mum. That might be what actually the child wants. So yes. maybe the punishment procedure might be a reinforcement procedure. Yes. And we've sort of tricked ourselves into this pattern. Mm-hmm. So we talk a lot about a function-based approach and that's really what we want to highlight in these courses is moving away from if the child does this, this is the outcome, mm. but looking more at why is a child doing it and matching the consequences mm. and the intervention to the why. Mm. Um, and that's what our first course is focusing yeah. on. And I think that's where we run the risk with um, suspension is it becomes a very blanket strategy. Mm. You know, it's yes. a school policy, it's yes. a system uh, rather than an individual intervention strategy. Uh-huh. And so it Uh, We can actually accidentally reinforce behaviour. We can make problems worse. Mm. And sometimes where it gets really problematic is where it it becomes a way that a school can can make an example of a Mm. student Mm. so that, you know, uh, well, other students can see that if you engage in this Mm behaviour, 
you get suspended. Mm-hmm. And that's really problematic for our students mm-hmm. that, like we said, who do have challenging behaviour, that mm-hmm. they're likely also dealing with other uh, difficulties mm-hmm. that require support actually yes. not to be made an example of. Yes. And so mm-hmm. we really need to be very, very careful with the use of things mm-hmm. like suspensions and mm-hmm. instead uh, replace them with more positive and proactive approaches. Mm-hmm. And then there's this sort of demographic issues around it too, I imagine. I mean, I've looked at some of the stats around, you know, just in terms of if we look at Sydney and the parts of Sydney uh, where children seem to be experiencing more suspensions versus others and, and, you know, not surprisingly, they would be areas where the sort of social economic factors are are, are, are more challenging, lower. Uh, so, you know, removing children into environments where there potentially is other challenges that they're facing as well, right. whether parents are busy or whether they're yep. also not well equipped themselves exactly. to be managing that behaviour. That's exactly right. And, you know, also with the, the double-edged sword of if there's also a requirement on the suspension that the student goes and accesses intervention and, and supports outside of the school, well, that family might mm. not able to access those and so it really is quite time wasting as well Mm -hmm. Um, whereas if the student is able to remain at school and the school itself has the tools to begin some behaviour assessment Mm -hmm. begin developing some interventions begin putting positive and proactive supports in Mm -hmm. place we're all of a sudden making progress much faster Mm -hmm. and then from the parents perspective you know as a stakeholder in this problem or this or this issue of of behaviour support and behaviour support in the school I know, for instance, that um, one of the main ADHD parent advocacy groups has has really backed the our New South Wales state government on this idea of re-looking at the professional development of teachers and, and has been for some time uh, asking for better training and upskilling of teachers to manage kids with certain types of special needs. And in, in their instance, obviously, the focus is ADHD and ADD. Um, but they've indicated that one in four of their children would be suspended at some point mm. in their education. And, and I, I know um, from the stats on suspension that, you know, sort of 25% of those are children in primary school. You know, we're talking about children Little in you kids, know, early yeah. <laughs> kindergarten, year one, year yep. two, um, which I think is mind-blowing. Yes, um, yeah. And seven out of ten of those have who who are children who've got a a disability yeah. of some form. So I think from the parents' perspective, would it be fair to to say that that they're not feeling satisfied in this process either, that they're either frustrated, they're mm-hmm. feeling that they lack the skills, um, or that they very much are, you know, wanting and promoting this idea that we do support teachers more yeah. in order to manage these issues within the school environment? Yes, absolutely. And if you can imagine you're a, you're a parent of a child that has uh, additional needs and already requires additional supports. You might already have a significant number of people involved in your life mm. uh, for your child's uh, mm. medical and, and health needs. Mm. Um, when the child goes to school, I think um, parents benefit from and want uh, to be able to access supports within that school environment. Yes. You know, they're already often managing enormous amounts of uh, services and people mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and all those sorts of mm-hmm. things. And so to be able to, um, I guess, have the comfort and knowledge of knowing that um, there is a team within my, my child's school mm-hmm. that is able to uh, begin this process. And, yes, mm-hmm. down the track, we, we, we'll t- probably talk about it later, as perhaps the more intense or, or um, specialised the supports need yes. to become, yep. schools will need to employ or, or bring in specialists. Mm-hmm. But, uh, again, that the parent is able to deal with the school as that sort of central mm. focus mm. and the supports can come from there. Mm. I think parents uh, and families are very much in support of, of 
schools being upskilled mm. for that reason. Mm. So I think that that's a great way. Thank you both very much for sort of helping to set the scene and, and, and get our heads around the, the nature of this problem, the, the, the three key stakeholders, the teachers, the students, the parents, and what the different perspectives are and some of the statistics, which I think are quite alarming um, that you've presented. So, so with that in mind, as we know, most recently, the government is shining a light on that in this state. You know, in recent weeks, they've basically set out a, um, you know, kind of a blanket approach of basically what I understand is kind of cancelling all professional development courses and getting people to reassess and reevaluate and reaudit uh, whether the kinds of training and professional development that, that that's being offered to teachers are appropriate for managing that's right. children like this. Yes. So I think that's very much. Um, an opportune time for both of you and, and the course it and is. the work that you're doing. Um, before we get on to the details of exactly what that training looks like yep. and you can step us through those modules and give people some fantastic detailed information about what um, it would look like if they were to come to your training as teachers or from a school setting, what, why you're working at Multilit, what, why does Multilit feel that this is a branch that they want to take on because traditionally multi-lit you know in my mind as a, yeah, as a parent literacy. or as a clinician <laughs> yeah. I think of literacy support <laughs> and the academic side of things and you know the spelling programs and the reading tutor yes. programs and the initialit and all those things which which they are world renowned for and world class um, w- without a doubt so so what makes multi-lit think that this is an appropriate um, kind of sidestep or extension uh, great question and um, it's actually uh, we really enjoy talking about this because it's something that's within multi-lit and always has been mm. um, and it's embedded within their current suite of products and mm-hmm. programs mm-hmm. that they offer um, that, you know, multi-lit is uh, all of their programs are based on components of behavioural science that uh, and direct instruction that give the best way to provide instruction and intervention to students mm-hmm. using positive and proactive approaches, mm-hmm. uh, good amounts of feedback to students, mm-hmm. um, error correction procedures right. and, and all these things that are really steeped in behavioural mm-hmm. science. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing all their programs do is uh, embed strategies that support students being ready to receive instruction. And when we talk about students being ready to receive instruction, we're talking about uh, behaviour. We're talking about things like uh, being able to sit and attend, being able to respond quickly, uh, you know, mm. being able to um, correct errors and, and yes. those sorts of things. And so this really is branching from the, those parts of the science that are embedded in their intervention mm-hmm. programs for literacy mm-hmm. and bringing it out uh, as a set of procedures that teachers can take hold of when looking at the broad components of behaviours okay. that are required in the okay. classroom. Okay. Um, and so uh, the uh, directors of, of the company, mm. Emeritus Professor Kevin Weldell and Dr Robin Weldell, mm. are real behaviourists at heart. Mm. They've been studying this stuff for many years yes. and have written many um, uh, research articles on it and done an enormous amount of studies on uh, teachers' use of uh, approval and disapproval and the impacts that it can have on, on classroom behaviour. Um, and there is currently a, a workshop for positive teaching mm-hmm. uh, available, which is about that sort of tier one whole class universal strategies to mm-hmm. support the behaviour of the majority of students in your class. Okay. And so we're really um, taking what Multilit already embeds mm. and then just bringing it into um, a specialised set of mm. workshops for teachers mm. on behaviour management. Okay. 
And and as we've said, the, the government themselves are, are seeing that this is the most important thing. I think now the, the focus of professional development, as I understand it, moving forward now is that they want teachers to train across a number of core areas That's right. in their compulsory hours of professional development. And, and one of those is very much around, um, you know, managing kids with special needs, with disabilities. Yes, it is. Um, et cetera. And again, as we know, well, as the statistics themselves are saying, seven out of ten of the kids that are being suspended are, are themselves children with some sort of special learning support needs. Mm, exactly. And I think what um, they're also looking at is, in the past, when we looked at um, classroom behaviour management workshops, uh-huh. they've been three hours or a one-day workshop. Right. That's just not enough to make a teacher walk out of that workshop and be ready to yes. tackle the complexities that are yes. happening in her classroom, his or her classroom. So what we're trying to look at is we're moving towards a course sequence rather mm-hmm. than a one-stop workshop okay. and out you go. Okay. Um, so we're really spending time delving into key areas, providing lots of opportunities for practice mm-hmm. and self-reflection. Mm-hmm. We even talk about things that might be common barriers that teachers might perceive and, mm-hmm. and have in their classrooms. Mm-hmm. So putting that all into the workshop so they do walk out with the strategies in place, mm-hmm. ready to go. Mm-hmm. And they also come with an amazing set of downloadable resources, data mm-hmm. collection sheets, assessment mm-hmm. tools. We want to, we really want to equip them with everything they need to walk in there and get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we do want to walk away from that sort of one day quick fix, load yeah. you with a thousand things, overwhelm you and out you go. Yeah. We're going to take our time and, and do it really well. And I think that's a really important point that people don't digest things through, you know, three-hour workshops, yeah. you know, that at the time that they're there, yes, they're doing their best to learn, but then in going away and implementing that into the classroom, with any kind of learning experience, you need that spaced yeah. application yes. of the skills that you've been trained in. So uh, I think that's one of the values that I'm hearing um, in the course that you're going to be offering, this idea of ongoing, uh, you know, support the, the practical tools that they can have, the level of detail That's the right. course will cover to really address some of the, the gaps that have been occurring in, in training in this area. So then without further ado, let, let's look at those um, modules then and exactly how the course is broken down sure. and structured. Um, so at the moment, our course is really geared towards primary school teachers. Um, we do feel like um, the examples that we're using, the video examples that we're using are of children at primary school age. That being said, the science and the principles could definitely be applied to high school across students as well across okay, the board. Really. But um, when we're talking about our video examples, which we think are fabulous video examples, yes. that I think will bring um, the strategies to light, but mm. also allow a bit of fun by watching what might happen in the classroom. And teachers will relate to these videos and yes. go, I've seen that before. Yes. We want them to feel that way because it is important to make teachers normalise it mm. and know that they're not alone here. And when it comes to challenging behaviour, we all have experienced different components of it. So the video footage really does that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the workshop series is looking at five workshops in total. Okay. The first one is already available, which is the positive teaching workshop, which we look at that as the tier one level approach. So Mm -hmm. we use the um, RTI model, which looks at three tiers of intervention when it comes to supporting children's curriculum, but also behavioral needs. And the tier one is whole class universal strategies. They're the basics. That's the foundation. We want all teachers to have in place already. Mm -hmm. And some teachers might need to do that course just to build that foundation to deal with the more complex situations mm-hmm. that might happen in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So that workshop's already available. Mm-hmm. The idea with, with that workshop is mm-hmm. um, when we get the basics right and the foundations mm-hmm. down, yes. it, it actually frees up a teacher's capacity to That's be right. able yes. to then spend more time 
at the the um, pointier ends of yes, the tiers yes. of the response to intervention framework, where a student or a small group of students might require more intensive and individualised sure. supports. And yeah. so it is really important that teachers feel they've got that foundation tier one approach down pat. So it allows for a more efficient That's approach. That's right. Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. If you can get okay. the majority of students ready and learning, mm. then you can really focus on the ones mm. that might need more specific yep. tier two or tier yep. three level support. Okay. And that workshop comes um, together with a book that was published earlier this year, which is The Positive Teaching for Australian Primary Schools, which was... Um, um, sort of accumulates all the work done by um, Dr. Kevin and Robin Weldell, which is fabulous. So it comes with that book as well. Okay. Um, the second workshop is the one that um, we're hoping to launch early next year, okay. which is foundation assessment and measurement of behaviour. Okay. We really encourage the whole school to do this workshop yes. as well, because this sort of really sets the scene about how do we talk about behaviour? Yes. How do we assess behaviour? What do we mean when we talk about functions of behaviour? Yes. Um, so we look really at that sort of um, assessment process, yes. um, really helping teachers become sort of their own little investigators, their own detectives mm. around why is that child engaging in that behaviour? Mm. What, what are they trying to achieve? What are they trying to avoid? Mm. So really understanding mm-hmm. that behaviour serves a purpose for all of us mm-hmm. and looking at the assessment of behaviour within the classroom context, mm-hmm. which is what teachers have control mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's always happening at home mm-hmm. and away from the classroom, mm-hmm. but we do know what's happening within the school. Mm-hmm. So really helping teachers assess the relationship between the child, the behaviour and his or her mm-hmm. environment. Now, you're both behavioural experts. Um, you know, you've got a very um, diverse and, and, you know, highly skilled professional background. Can you shed some light for, for people listening who this is, you know, uh, you know less familiar in terms yes. of content? When you talk about functions of behaviour or the purpose of behaviour, can you give some examples about, you know, what you mean by that? What would be possible functions mm. of behaviour for kids in a primary school setting, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when we talk about the functions, uh, we're really talking about the why behind okay. behaviour. And a big, uh, I guess, uh, sometimes we call we talk about uh, behavioural pitfalls, you know, mm. these sort of traps we get stuck in. Yes. And quite often we get stuck in this trap of being all about what the behaviour looks like. Mm. And this is where things like suspensions get really tricky. Well, mm-hmm. if a child is aggressive, a ch- mm. if a child hits, mm. then the strategy should be that they're sent home. Mm. Or if a child doesn't follow the rules, well, they should be sent out of class. Mm-hmm. And we want teachers to move away from that because what actually happens is when we are just thinking about what the behaviour looks like, mm. we're not taking into any account as to why that behaviour might be there in the first okay. place. And so a function-based approach is trying to figure out why that student might be engaging in Mm behaviour and matching the strategies and interventions to the why. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a a school environment, we often can see um, one of the big functions, uh, the whys behind a student's behaviour might be avoidance or Mm -hmm. escape. Mm -hmm. You know, if a student struggles with uh, certain academic tasks Mm -hmm. or really struggles socially, Mm -hmm. we might see them engaging in uh, refusal, you know, refusing to do some work because they actually want to avoid having to do that hard work where mm-hmm. they've made mistakes in the past or they've they've really struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can imagine if my strategy for refusal is to send them out of the classroom. Whoop well, do. Yep, yes, there we go. <laughs> they've just they've Very just been highly reinforced. Their that's yes. right. Um, okay. You know, on the other on the other side, we might see. Uh, students engaging in behaviour to gain the attention of their peers, yes. you know, to get a laugh or or to get some mm-hmm. um, any kind of attention mm-hmm. from their peers. Mm-hmm. And if, if that student really struggles with having better, more appropriate ways to gain access to peer attention and interactions, mm-hmm. they might keep falling back on these problematic mm-hmm. behaviours. Mm-hmm. So we can see sometimes 
one behavior that looks similar, you know, one student might be hitting for one reason, mm-hmm. but another student might be hitting for a completely different reason. Mm-hmm. That's why we need to get to that why, that function. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and all of our assessment tools are about, uh, we, we step teachers through how to actually get to that point mm. uh, where we can start to think about um, why is this particular student engaging in this particular behaviour. Mm. So that detective thinking that you're talking about in this module yes. of the, of the, of the um, workshop and the training sounds to me to be so critical because with the same behaviour, I mean, in those examples you just gave, Michaela, you know, hitting or other forms of aggressive behaviour, same behaviour but two different reasons mm-hmm. or two different whys, as you put it. And I would imagine then that there's two different strategies then that would go along yes. with managing that. So yeah. if we don't look at the whys, then potentially we're applying the wrong strategies to the wrong sorts of reasons um, and possibly creating more problems. That's than, right. Than we also know with. that um, problem behaviour can get strengthened over time, mm. um, especially if strategies are really inconsistent across mm. environments and people. Mm. It gets strengthened. So very often one behaviour for one student can have multiple functions. Mm. So helping teachers understand at that very moment what function is in place for that student and mm. how do I tackle it in mm. that very moment mm. rather than having a when they do this, it's for this reason I should mm. do this. Really looking mm. at watching what's happening around the Mm. student to determine Mm. what is happening right now Mm. and what do I do right now. Um, Behaviour intervention is not black and white. And so whilst the science is the science and and once you understand it, it's really clear, but we're talking about people and and we're talking about the complexities of Mm. of little people that might have additional learning needs and and, um, emotional needs. And so the we're better off um, taking an approach where we take our time to try to discover Mm. what's behind Mm. the behaviour and target that because otherwise we get down this sort of slippery path of accidentally reinforcing behaviour, accidentally strengthening behaviour, as Jill just said, um, and we're we're better off taking the time up front to Mm -hmm. do the assessment Mm -hmm. and then get it right with the intervention. Mm -hmm. And this is something that teachers can actually do. You don't have to call on a professional for this point if we can really teach teachers to be detectives and assess function Mm. they're already steps ahead of where they would be Mm. so um often when things go wrong we call for external support the reality Mm. is in australia we don't have enough people to go to provide that skill (laughs) set um and also people to provide that skill set at the time where teachers need it so if we can look at teachers building their capacity to assess behaviour, they're already miles ahead. Mm. Um, so hopefully we don't have too many children moving from that tier two to mm. that tier three level mm. behaviour where real crisis can occur. So I've been thinking as you've been speaking that, you know, the, the, obviously the most directly relevant, you know, group is is teaching, is the school environment. So teaching, uh, you know, teachers and, and principals and, and the school body. But I'm also thinking about the fact that there are other professionals these days who work either within the school or who are itinerant across multiple schools or who consult um, through requests of families or the school as external consultants. So, you know, school counsellors, school psychologists, other professionals. What are your thoughts on who else this might be relevant for and those people coming to this kind of training? Um, so glad you mentioned that because we absolutely see this coursework series as, as extending beyond just the, the teacher and the school. So okay. absolutely teachers, school leaders, uh, but also within schools, we've got special educators, learning and support staff mm-hmm. who 
are often very much required to be the ones who come in and solve yes. these issues. Yes. And they might not necessarily have the the dedicated previous study uh, in order to be able to do that effectively. So learning support staff, special educators, uh, absolutely school counsellors and school psychologists are also often the ones who are called to put out these spot fires Mm. and, you know, um, how fabulous if they also had this skill set to be able to start that assessment Mm. early. Mm. Um, So we we absolutely see – and also um, learning and support uh, aids and and, – SLSOs and things like that because um, they might not necessarily need to go through the entire coursework Mm. series but having um, support staff that can take data effectively and that can can brainstorm uh, good strategies Mm. that are function-based and just have that function-based thinking Mm. uh, would make a huge difference as well. Mm. and then also I'm sure Jill will talk about it a bit more as the allied health yes. sector. Yeah, we've had a bit of interest um, when we put our promo out from allied health that we've worked okay. with in the past or people who've reached out to us saying that um, often they're in a position where they're going into school environments yes. or working with school-aged children yes. and also feeling the need to get upskilled in um, what's current around positive behaviour yes. support and also looking at how to assess and teach replacement skills. And we're looking at the teaching side you're often incorporating potentially occupational therapists mm. or psychologists or mm. speech pathologists. So having everyone speak the same language around teaching and motivation mm. and assessment of behaviours really helps build that collaborative approach and that team that we mm. really need to build around these individuals mm. at the tier two and tier three level. Mm. We um, What happens with challenging behaviours is sometimes includes so many people into the mix and you spend a lot of time just talking different languages. Mm -hmm. So having everyone be consistent around Mm -hmm. the language, around Mm -hmm. behaviour and supporting children at this level can Mm -hmm. really add value and save time and get better outcomes. Mm So um, we would encourage allied health who have a bit of a passion in behaviour support Mm -hmm. and want a bit more upskilling around it. This would be a great workshop for them. And even though uh, the examples and the videos and, you know, everything we've done is about school-based, yes. the, the examples are about classroom settings or playgrounds, and we've really thought about the teacher at the forefront when designing our tools, all of this stuff is relevant to a clinical setting. Yes, so absolutely. if you're an allied health professional that is feeling like a lot of your sessions are, are um, full of challenging behaviour yes, and you're absolutely. not getting very far, uh, this skill set will really help you in those settings as well, yes. supporting families at home. Uh, there's no reason why you can't use our data sheets to um, collect uh, data in any environment mm, so exactly. um, it's very relevant yeah. fantastic so teaching in school environments but yeah allied health school psychologists learning support within a school absolutely uh, a broad extension yes. and I think that comes back to that idea of uh, you know having these terms and labels like positive behavior support or positive teaching that get thrown around mm-hmm. it, it's I think there's a bit of a trend you know it's become a bit of a trendy word to use of late yes. um, in the education in the clinical literature you know use positive behavior support but unless we're all speaking the same language as you rightly said Jill and there's a, a reliable ability across schools and potentially clinicians who are working with a child or supporting kids in multiple settings, then it does make it very hard to get consistency and to really affect change with children. So I love that um, you see a role for those people being able to attend um, training as well. That's great. So the first module is these universal principles around understanding behaviour, the science of behaviour and the general principles around, you know, positive behaviour and positive teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, The second module is around going 
at it at a deeper that's approach. That's right. Yeah. A sort of a deeper dive analysis and empowering teachers by the sounds of it to to see that within them they have the capacity to assess behaviour, look at the whys, the purposes. That's right. Um, and then match the right uh, approach exactly, to, yes. to what they're assessing, um, which seems to me from what we've discussed earlier to be sorely lacking at the moment. And, and the time pressure I think you touched on is a really interesting point, you know, this idea of wanting a, a quick fix because, you know, I can s- certainly appreciate from a teacher's perspective that they're under a lot of pressure mm-hmm. as well within a moment in a classroom to think on the spot, to act quickly, to deal with uh, challenging behaviour. Yeah. And the, that, that sort of goes against the idea of taking some time, of, of you know, collecting data and analysing behaviour over time periods um, in order to come to a more sensible um, and accurate conclusion. Yes, and, and it will save time in the long run. Yes. I bet that's, that's where the kind of time-saving happens. Yes. I bet yeah. when teachers hear this word time... The yes. one thing they'll say is, but we don't have any yes, time. Have <laughs> I think yes. that's the thing that we often hear teachers saying is, if I had more time, yes, I'd be able I'd to tackle it. this better. Yeah. So I think, um, and we talk about things like that, which mm. we call as barriers to implementation. Mm. And one mm. of them is definitely teachers having the capacity yes. and the time to yes. do so. So when we talk about a whole school approach, which we might dive into later on, mm. we really try to encourage the whole school taking on this workshop. So when we talk about behaviour, we talk about behaviour with the same language. Mm -hmm. And there's an understanding from upper levels of management within a school Mm -hmm. that when it comes to functional assessment of Mm behaviour, teachers need to be allocated time to do so. Mm -hmm. And that, that needs to be allocated from above. So they have the, you know, mm. they have allocated time and it's not, it's not just a one hour. They need, they need a considerable amount of time to actually take data mm. and analysing data in itself is a skill set which we do cover in yes. this workshop. Yes. But it does require real focus time for them to do yes. so. Yeah. But as you said, it's, it's about efficiency. It's about understanding that you've got to commit that time up front mm-hmm. perhaps. And yes, that could be more labour intensive, but in the long term, there's less time then spent sort of chasing one's tail. Exactly, yeah, Yeah. and reacting. And, and, you know, again, if we're looking at the sort of teacher burnout side of things Mm. too, Mm. you know, having to go get up, go to work every day and spend your time all day reacting to problems rather than giving yourself time up front to potentially alleviate those Mm. problems from Mm. happening, reducing the need to be so reactive, uh, all of a sudden, you know, we might have teachers that aren't feeling as Mm. sort of burnt out as Mm. well Mm. uh, and we've got problems that are actually being uh, improved and and reduced over time. Mm -hmm. So um, there are many benefits, I think, to that time up front. Um, And it's, you know, we we know that... um, strategies that are developed from the outcomes of a functional behaviour assessment, which is what we're training teachers to do, are more likely to have the desired outcome. And so this is an evidence-based approach where we're giving teachers a whole tool set um, and that when they come out the other side, they've not only had the practice, but they've actually got Mm -hmm. uh, pre-made tools that they can Mm -hmm. use. Um, so hopefully those elements of the job are a little bit easier too. Mm. They're not sort of scrambling to find assessments and mm. find data sheets. That, mm. That's all there for mm. them. And it's pretty um, it's pretty evident Department of Ed is actually very much promoting functional assessment yes. when it comes to behaviour. They know that's evidence-based. They're trying to encourage us to do it. But if you have a good search, there's not many options to know how do you learn yes. how to do a functional yes. assessment. Yes. I know it's important. I know it's what I have to yeah. do, but how do I do it? Yeah, and what does it look um, like? Yeah, yeah, so we need to really address that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And I think that came through again going back to that article in the Herald a, a couple of weeks ago where, you know, broadly the teachers' unions were saying, look, 
you know, this idea of rejigging the professional development um, and the curriculum around that, you know, is all well and good. But unless we're resourced and skilled up with the kind of things that are really going to help us address managing behaviour, working with kids with special needs, you know, disabilities, etc., then it's it's basically lip service. So mm. in your workshops and in your modules, what I'm hearing is you're giving, you know, there's video examples, there's templates, there's handouts, there's you know, sort of depth of um, and detail of information that's provided and resources that they can take away with exactly. them and yep. use. Yep. And they okay. get to they actually get to practice using those tools during the workshop as okay, well. That's right. So they've had they've actually had repeated practice. Okay. There's so many opportunities where they collect data on our data sheets. Mm-hmm. They um, observe a functional assessment interview. Okay. Uh, we then encourage them at the end of that unit to go away and do one. So okay. there's lots of opportunities to practice. Yes. Um, and, and we know just like when we're trying to teach our students new behaviour, yeah. teachers are learning new behaviours when yes. it comes to functional behaviour yep. assessment. They need to rehearse yep. and practice and yes. receive feedback yeah. as well. And so they're not just sitting and listening. No. They're doing very in active. the context yes. of the workshop. Uh, and that's how you learn, isn't it, by really having absolutely. a go. And um, and that's something that Multit does across all their courses yes. is really active and responding yes. and learning sort of with practical strategies uh-huh. in place. And uh-huh. the one thing that, um, you know, we've, we've spent so much time developing these downloadable resources mm. and it is worth sort of highlighting that because mm. over the years in the many jobs that we've had, mm-hmm. the amount of times we have tried to find the right data sheets for that context mm. or the best assessment tool for mm. that context, mm. we've had to create our own mm. numerous times because mm. it's just not available on the mm. market. So mm. when teachers type in, you know, functional behaviour interview, mm. they might find some that are very much a more one-on-one interview mm. in a home base mm. or it mm. might be for older students mm. or... It might um, be very American. I was going to say, well. very much mm. developed in America. So we've actually really spent time putting all the years of experience together and thought, what mm. do teachers need? How mm. do we get mm. the most useful pieces of information into those assessments, tools and downloadable resources and data sheets? And then being very mindful of how dynamic a classroom is, we need to make sure those sheets and tools are useful and can be actually done within a classroom. And mm. Those are things that we're trialling out as well within our own practice to make sure that teachers can use them. Okay. So you've done that hard work yep. for them and they can They just will have a whole folder ready they can use whenever they need it. It's yes. done. Yeah. <laughs> so then moving on to the third component of this series of workshops. So we've gone from positive teaching to the functional assessment, that deeper dive, that mm-hmm. protective right. thinking approach. What's the third component? The third one is motivation and teaching strategies. Okay. And we've put this order in a very specific way when we've talked about the course because we know teachers want to dive in and get the, what do I do when this behaviour occurs, mm. which is that reactive strategy. So when we put the order in place, we've really spent time looking at the assessment, which we've just talked about. And now we focus on motivation and teaching Mm -hmm. because we know challenging behaviour happens for a reason. We also know that students have a right to gain or escape things, but in more appropriate ways. So how do you teach them to gain attention appropriately? How do you teach them to avoid a task appropriately? How do you teach them the skills that they need so that they actually will give a task a go that they've previously found hard? So we need to look at someone's motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where we look at, you know, reward-based strategies Mm -hmm. and um, looking at how the curriculum might need to be slightly adapted to meet their needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, We look at someone's students, a student's learning profile Mm -hmm. and learning and behaviour profile. What skills might they be missing across those social skills and Mm -hmm play skills and um, even things like fine motor and gross motor. So really assessing all those skill areas. Mm -hmm. Then we spend a lot of time talking about teaching Mm -hmm. because what we want to do as teachers is teach. It's pretty simple, right? Um, But when we're looking at children with challenging behaviour, sometimes what we have to teach is a more appropriate way Mm -hmm. for them to get the same outcome. So the challenging behaviour 
doesn't need to be used anymore because yes. they have a better, more appropriate way. Okay. So this next workshop is really that that part okay. of the piece. And one of the things that uh, we really want teachers to start thinking about, and this is all part of this function-based thinking that we're really trying to get yes. teachers to take hold of, yes. is rather than thinking of there's this problem behaviour, we've got to get rid of it, we've got to, we've got to react, we've got to react, is to start thinking what could the student do instead and that's where we, we find our replacement behaviour. And okay. that is a critical part of any behaviour plan. Mm. We can't develop a plan without looking at what can the student do instead? Mm. How do I teach it? And how do I motivate them to use that mm-hmm. instead of the challenging mm-hmm. behaviour? And as Jill said, we've, we've carefully designed this sequence so that teachers get that upfront mm. before we start talking about reactive strategies, mm-hmm. because ultimately... We actually need to start doing this sooner mm-hmm. and we will have more impact on that student if we can give them new skill sets, mm-hmm. reinforce them, mm-hmm. make them really motivated to yes. use them yep. and it just lessens the need for them to go to that challenging behaviour. Mm-hmm. It can mm-hmm. be very, very effective. Okay. So you've put these workshops together in a way then where one builds on the other, Correct. which builds on the next, which builds on the next So or, or, or lays the foundations for what's coming. Yes. And so it flows logically. Okay, so so they have their universal principles, the the functional assessment, that detailed detective thinking style you've talked about. Then in in the third module, you're looking at this idea of how to motivate students to take on board what are these replacement behaviours, what they can do instead yep. of the challenging behaviour, which makes perfect sense. And then in the fourth component, the fourth what one is where we probably get straight into what teachers are really hungry for when they first call us up, but is okay. looking at preventative strategies. So how right. do you prevent behaviour from occurring? Yes. How do you set the environment up so the um, behavior is least likely to occur? Okay. And then, yes, looking at reactive strategies. What do you do when the behaviour does occur? Because we do know you can prevent behaviour. Yes. You can try to teach more appropriate skills, but yes. the behaviour will still come at times. And yes. what do you do when it does occur? Yes. So, yes. And the focus with those reactive strategies will, will be how do we intervene ethically, mm-hmm. safely, early, uh, and also strategies that are function-based. Mm. So, again, it's it's going to be bringing back that understanding right from the beginning of our assessment mm-hmm. and looking at, at reactive strategies that will serve the purpose of reducing that behaviour mm. over time. Mm. Uh, within the context of schools, though, we're going to make it mm. very, very clear that these are ethical, safe mm. procedures mm. that we use mm. and we're, we would never um, recommend any reactive strategies without a strong uh, preventative and uh, replacement plan in place and lots of reinforcement for the right behaviours. Mm. So it, it's really got to be – that's why it comes at the end because we need everything else in place yes. before we have those reactive strategies. Mm-hmm. And really helping teachers choose which strategies they put in place when because I think – Sometimes when you're a bit overwhelmed with behaviour, you you pick up little bits of information that other teachers might pass down to you or you might have read a blog on mm. um, Facebook or you've heard something you thought, look, I'm just throw that all in the mix. I'm going to put <laughs> everything in place and see what sticks. Mm. Um, and that doesn't work very well. No. Um, it also makes teachers exhausted yes. because they're trying all different things and someone's like, oh, you should try this and you should try that. Yes. That's really overwhelming for teachers. Absolutely. So. Really, when, when they understand why behaviour is occurring, they'll be able to choose which preventive strategies okay. really match up yeah. and put just those ones in place and do it really well. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to encourage. Mm. So you're empowering them, you're building confidence mm-hmm. by the sounds of it because when you're more confident in, in your choice and your decision-making around the yeah. right strategies to put in place, you're less open exactly. to, you know, oh, I looked up on Google yesterday, this That's latest. Right. Uh, yes. you know, and we really want to move away from diagnosis blaming as well mm. because we sometimes fall in this trap of, 
oh, the child has autism, so naturally they need more visual supports or we need to create a breakout space for them. And yes, for some kids, absolutely, whether they have autism or don't have autism, those things are very helpful. But when we look at the diagnosis and match interventions to it, we just fall in these horrible traps. We find these generic interventions that have been pulled apart from different places and then just go and look every child with autism needs this so we do use what we call a non-categorical approach i think that's fantastic Um, it's really important and in all our examples we throw in lots of examples over the years that we've seen that teachers might be dealing with that yes might be very typical of what you might see with a child with for example autism or Mm. or odd but we don't Mm. spend time talking about the diagnosis because Mm. That's just not helpful. Mm. We need to look at the why and the whys and the functions, not the diagnosis. Mm. And I think that idea of, yes, moving away from a blanket approach mm-hmm. and non-categorical, same clinically, you know, when, when I think of children that we may assess or diagnose and looking at um, families who've, who've certainly come to me and, you know, they've seen a clinician somewhere who said, well, your child has X or Y and therefore this is the approach that you That's should right. take in terms of their intervention overall. And that may be completely irrelevant for that mm-hmm. particular child because it has nothing to do with that child's own individual profile, mm-hmm. their own That's strengths right. and difficulties. Yep. So coming back to that in the classroom context it sounds again that it's very much about you know spending the time at the start in getting right your assessment of what's driving the behaviors the whys looking at the right replacement strategies exactly. and how to motivate that and then yes this idea of there are times for reactive yep. um, approaches but making sure these other components are in place and forgetting Absolutely. about the diagnosis and the labeling entirely. that's right i think the other thing i really like about that is just the realism of your approach you know i think um this idea that sometimes, and, and I think teachers again can feel overwhelmed by this, and I know that as a parent I often feel overwhelmed by this, this idea that, you know, if you've got a child who is presenting with challenging behaviour, um, oh, well, you know, you, you should only be approaching this with proactive strategies and there's never a time to use possible reactive strategies and, and if you are then there's something wrong in your overall approach. Um, whereas teachers know that, as, as you've rightly said, you know, there are times where yes, there you, are. you know, set up the environment well and maybe this is in the initial phases of trying to change behaviour. But children will push limits. They're children. They are human beings and we all function in that way where um, behaviours will repeat for a certain period of time and sometimes, as you well know, behaviours get worse before they get better when you're trying to redirect or or find replacement strategies. So to be, you know, suggesting to teachers, um, you know, that there is no place for reactive strategies I think is equally unrealistic. Mm -hmm. So I like that um, in the approach that you're going through, there is that realism, there is that understanding that teachers, you know, do need to have both. Exactly. And and I think what we've recognised over the years is where teachers have been told that um, and and where there's, you know, that maybe there's some good proactive strategies in place but where they've been told that there's no place for consequence strategies, it can become a really um, stressful and sometimes mm. dangerous situation mm. where a teacher has nothing to fall back yes. on when escalations have yes. occurred. And, and, you know, like Jill and I said, our strategies are going to be about uh, diffusing and, and redirecting as early as possible, yes. uh, but in a way that doesn't potentially reinforce ongoing behaviour. Yes. So understanding those functions is still crucial. Yes. Um, and how teachers and, and the rest of the school can ensure safety and ethics. And we introduce ethics to teachers around behaviour support in workshop two when we yes. talk about functions and assessment. Okay. And we bring that right through because uh, there are so many important things that we need to be mindful of when we are um, reacting to situations mm-hmm. and by the time we get there, we feel teachers would have had a really great, um, you know, exposure to those situations mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. 
So we're at the fifth module, again, just looking at these building blocks. We've covered the universal approaches. We've covered the sort of detective thinking, the functional assessment of behaviour, the teaching of replacement strategies and the way to motivate the students towards choosing those mm-hmm. rather than the pre, uh, what would have been their you know, former choice of, of certain challenging behaviours. Yeah. The idea of that mix of proactive and reactive strategies and the weighting perhaps that you might give those, the focus on setting up the environment, the proactive strategies first, but then the time and place for relevant and ethical reactive strategies. So what's the final component then, the fifth component? The final component is the behaviour support plan and implementation of that. So it's helping teachers develop and write their own behaviour support plan um, and creating different versions of it. So having one that we might see as a, you could put it up, you know, on the wall. It's a quick, it's a quick glimpse. They can see what they need to do. If they have casual teachers in, they could have a quick glance at that and follow that plan. Okay. And then also looking at helping teachers um, develop comprehensive behaviour support plan, which probably are a little bit more detailed and required at that tier three level. Um, and then what we need to do is spend time looking at how do you implement a behaviour support plan? Because a behaviour support plan can really just be a piece of paper if you let it be. Mm-hmm. So we need to help teachers move away from the document to practical implementation and okay. looking at all the things that happen within a school system. So like I said, looking at casual teachers, looking at support teachers coming into the room, looking at um, if they're going across different classrooms for different reasons, so music lessons or sports lesson. How mm-hmm. do you get that plan across the board so the school as a whole mm-hmm. is supporting the teacher to implement that plan rather than the teacher being the sole implementer because that's just not reality in a school mm-hmm. context. We're talking about really dynamic systems within mm-hmm. a school. So the last workshop is really tying a few things together, mm-hmm. helping them develop the plan, looking at how to encourage and motivate others to implement that plan. Okay. Yeah, so we'll also some training, you know, almost train the trainer um, components come in here where okay. uh, once a plan has been developed, you know, how, you know, as Jill was saying, how do you get that information to other members of the, right. the school that will need to implement with some level of fidelity, making yes. sure that we've got um, some implementation checklists and yes. procedures ready yes. to go uh, to streamline those approaches yes. for, for schools. Okay. Um, and also looking at documentation and the mm. best way to to be able to actually develop these plans. Okay. We also hope potentially would support uh, schools with any requirements for um, funding and, and those mm. sorts of things too. Mm. So we really want to make sure that these plans would support um, any applications that schools okay. do too. So that it links into what might be pre-existing you know, departmental level exactly. you know, requirements exactly. and yes. things like that, which would be And great. we know that plans need to be modified and changed all the time. Yes. So helping teachers... Um, monitor the intervention that they've put in place and then modifying the plan as it needs to be. So sometimes you might, um, you know, meet a student and you say, do you have a behaviour support plan? I say, sure we do. And you look at it, the date was three years ago. Mm. There's no way mm. that plan is still being put in place it's the way it was three years ago or updated. So it's been the update. We yes. need to look at how do we help teachers modify plans quickly and easily mm. so it doesn't become another long, lengthy process. Right. It has to be an ongoing That's right. We, we, you know... Um, we want to make sure that the plans are uh, easily modifiable because yes. a behaviour support plan should always be a working document. Yes. It's not something that is set in stone yes. and then you just file it away. Yes. And and Jill was talking about the one that you might pop up on the wall. We call these a step-by-step plan uh-huh. where it really is an easy way to read. Step one, step two, when this happens, I do this. This is how I set the environment up. This is how I. This is what I reinforce. This is what I'm watching out for all the time to see mm-hmm. if the students are using those better behaviours. Uh, this is 
what they're motivated by. And so it gives teachers this really simple way of following a plan but it's also an easier way to update and modify when, mm-hmm. when things change mm-hmm. um, and with monitoring systems in place, we can do that a little mm-hmm. bit faster, mm-hmm. which is really important. So you're showing them how to develop the plan, but also how to keep the plan dynamic that's right, in yeah. a way that's manageable yes. for them rather than feeling like they have to reinvent the wheel. And again, coming back to that idea of not wanting to overwhelm teachers who already have very limited time, that's it. Yep. Um, that, that, that that's a manageable uh, exercise or activity. Yes. So I've heard you talk about a few times as we've spoken today, this idea of you know individual teachers versus a whole school Correct. approach. Yep. So these modules and this sort of series of workshops that you're rolling out over a period of time uh, what is the best way really for a school to approach accessing them look uh, we have our goal in mind of what yes. we think is the ideal well, picture that, that is the best so way we'll, we'll pitch you're, that one you're to addressing you. the problem yeah. we'll pitch that one to you first so yeah. our goal here is that a school community comes on board and takes on the workshops okay and then we would look at the whole school ideally doing workshop one which is positive teaching yes. and workshop two which is the foundations and assessment okay. piece um, that way the whole school speaking the same language, it's consistent across all classrooms. Um, then our goal is that we would help schools develop what we'd call like an in-house behaviour team. Uh-huh. And they might be teachers who um, are already working across classrooms, who might have leadership roles within the school, or teachers who are passionate about supporting children with complex needs. That in-house behaviour support team would then continue the remaining courses with us. So can I just get you to go back to the workshop one and two and the whole school Mm -hmm. taking that on? In practical terms, would that mean that they, you know, is this at a staff development day where all of them would sit down and and do this together or or can it be that different people within the staff can access at different times within the overall time (laughs) period? These workshops are going to be available. Workshop one is already available. Workshop two is just... um, soon to be available, uh-huh. are available via online okay. self-paced yes. e-learning modules. Perfect. Okay. And so um, the, the beauty of that is that teachers, as we all know, who are time poor, yes. can, can work through the modules uh, at their own rate. Mm. Um, we've had some schools come on board to do workshop one where all staff do it and they sort of set a, a general time limit mm-hmm. but teachers are mm-hmm. working individually through mm-hmm. those modules okay. uh, and then at the end there can be some follow-up either with us or mm-hmm. you know school mm-hmm. staff meetings to kind of mm-hmm. touch base about mm-hmm. the content um, and so both all of our workshops will be available that way mm-hmm. um, and then the opportunities for uh, live workshops again you know they might be still online via zoom yes. um, yeah. but that you can you can kind of deliver that to a whole okay. school during a staff development. So the delivery is time. completely flexible then. Very flexible. It is. And, yep, and yes. that ties in well with the needs of a school. Yeah. The school and, can and choose what works best for yeah. them. You know, if they, so, they want to have a staff development day and do it all in one go in one day, they can do that or they can choose to um, have sort of set up a calendar of week by week they do a bit different modules. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. And then coming back to Jill, what you were sure. saying about the behaviour sort of team within a school and then them taking on board some of the later series. That's right, okay. yeah. So ideally we the way we see it is that um, schools would develop their own in-house behaviour team. Uh-huh. That team would continue workshops three, four and five. Okay. Um, then what we would like to do is then build ideally a partnership with that school, so between Multilit and the school, yes. where if they needed access to Michaela or myself for more complex um, discussions around certain yes. st- students at Tier 3 yes. level or Tier 2 level, maybe a teacher has um, done the assessment but she's a bit stuck on the implementation yes. side, they can then access us for consultation. Okay. And in the past, what we have done uh, prior to coming to Multilit is we often get called by schools in crisis. Yes. And when you walk in there and you go, look, 
there's a lot I can do here, but a lot of the basics aren't in place. So I yes. have to go back yes. and get all the basics yes. covered. And that takes a lot of time. Yep. It costs schools a lot of money to mm. do that. Mm. Um, and it can be very challenging to fit that into the, the teacher's time schedule mm. that she's mm. already got mm. in place. They're already burnt out at that point. Yes. So hopefully what we want to do is get the teachers doing the course with us start the journey from the beginning and, and build that team that we can then access towards the end, that if they have ongoing problems, they can give multi a call and book in consultation mm-hmm. sessions. And mm-hmm. then we're all speaking the same language. Yes. We're all using the same assessment tools yes. and we can get the job done faster for them. Yes. Yeah. So again, you're building in that efficiency from, you know, a whole school approach for those earlier mm-hmm. building block basic um, skills and then, uh, you know, streamlining to a team to take on board some of the more sort of fine-pointed That's end right. of the spectrum yes. to then liaising and connecting with you. So there's still a flexibility in them also having access to you for more specialist support, That's right. That's complex right. cases, yeah. those sorts of things. That's that our can, ideal yeah. goal. So yes. okay. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense. So so how can people um, get in touch or access this? And I'll put these um, sure. in the show notes, these, these links. What's um, the best way for a school so to... So contacting Multilit. Multilit mm-hmm. has a head office mm-hmm. and um, you can uh, express your interest ab- about uh, the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we said, the first workshop is uh, available and the second workshop is soon to be available. Okay. Um, so there is a discussion that schools can have with Multilit around whether or not they're, they're needing to start at that tier one level mm-hmm. or they're ready to go to tier two. Mm-hmm. We have got some um, sort of prerequisites that need to be looked at uh, mm-hmm. before moving to... Uh, workshop too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have, there's some information on their website as well with a video link, uh, Jill and mm-hmm. I talking about mm-hmm. um, workshop two in a little bit more detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Jill and I are available to discuss um, more specific needs with schools, you know, if they want to figure out if this is right for them, mm-hmm. uh, we can we can certainly mm-hmm. arrange for that mm-hmm. too. Okay, fantastic. Ladies, I, I just think this is fantastic. I mean, you've, you've, you, I'm, I've, if, I, if I was a teacher or working in a school, and <laughs> even as a clinician, I can see value in just attending, you know, oh, that's great to yeah. broaden yes. understanding yes. of behaviour, the assessment, that really important point around the deeper dive analysis of, you know, the whys of behaviour, knowing mm-hmm. the, the difference between reactive and proactive approaches, how to motivate students. Uh, I think you've covered every possible aspect um, of, of behaviour management and, and how to address that. And I think it directly hits that nerve at the moment that that, that we're seeing at a governmental level mm-hmm. where they're identifying there's a gap here that we Absolutely. need to yes. really change our focus and address that. So um, thank you very much for your thank time you. in outlining this today and, and I wish you all the very best in, in rolling this out as widely as possible um, across the, you know, the education uh, sector and, and, and the community. Really? Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's just been really fun talking to you about something that we're so passionate about, but I can see that you're equally as passionate about as well. So um, thank you for letting us have a chat about what we're starting here. Absolute yeah. pleasure. Thank you. Well, didn't Jill and Michaela do a tremendous job of unpacking this complicated subject? I think it's very clear that thorough training in behaviour management needs to be a priority right now in our schools. The links for the information about the multi-lit courses in positive teaching and learning are in our show notes. I'm Dr. Anne Shalfont, and this is the Annie Centre podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Take care, everyone. The Annie Centre podcast was brought to you by Annie Centre Proprietary Limited. Please visit AnnieCentre.com and subscribe to receive the latest updates and digital downloads from Dr. Anne Shalfant.